agency life, especially for agency owners, is filled with tough decisions and can be filled with some tough times as well. But too often, we don't get to hear about those. At worst, we only hear about the good times. At best, we hear about the tough times long after the fact, when the learnings aren't as fresh or as helpful. That's why I love the candor, transparency, and vulnerability from today's guest, Nicole Pereira, who's the founder and CEO of Remotish, a RevOps agency focused on making HubSpot awesome for their clients, has seen many successes as an agency owner. However, just a few weeks back, she was faced with the daunting reality of downsizing and letting go multiple members of her team as she faced a financial deficit, a reality of being overstaffed, and a drying up pipeline. Nicole shares candidly her story, including how she came to the decision, how she communicated this with her team, what positive things have come out the other side of a layoff situation, and if you stick around until the end, Nicole shares shares where she's found her biggest source of encouragement and support through a very difficult stretch as an agency owner. Let's dive in as Nicole shares when she was faced with this reality of needing to eliminate multiple positions within her agency. I think for entrepreneurs, for a lot of us, the worst moment always involves when you break your promise of opportunity to people, right? Like like you build a business and become an employer because you do have some sort of passion to like give opportunity to people. Otherwise, you would just outsource things and be a solo operation or hire manufacturing elsewhere or whatever. You would just never have employees. But the moment you choose to have employees, anytime you sort of break that employment promise, you just you feel horrible. Even if all the reasons why you do it are right, you will always feel horrible, especially if you value those relationships in any way. For me, uh, it's very recent. Like, I think I was sitting in in April and I was running the numbers and I was just seeing the trends and I was seeing a dried up pipeline and a pretty bloated operational layer in my company, which was the result of 2021, 2022, sending us signals that we needed to be ready to grow, right? And so I layered us in with all this operational weight that is actually highly unusual for an agency. You know me well. I put planning and operations and infrastructure actually as a premium. So I probably already pay too much for that compared to what the EOSers and everybody else in the world would say. I want to live my life with less stress. That means I want to piece out more of what I normally would probably keep as an agency owner of an agency of my size. And so that that although all those choices had negative consequences that put me in a place where I needed to make a decision. I sat and I, I don't think I ate for days. I just, I knew what I needed to do. I didn't sleep. And I was like making the choice of who I needed to part ways with was the hardest thing, right? I think it's less deciding that you need to do something and more now deciding who, especially when you're in a situation where other people are the victim, when you have to make a choice and you're the only victim, you just have to figure like what what bothers me the least to have to deal with, right? But when other people become the victim of that choice, it's really, really, really difficult. And I know for people, they've done layoffs of hundreds and thousands of people, and I just did two. I knew I needed to get rid of two people. I needed to look at the numbers and I needed to, to see like, who is going to be the least likely to make the most impact in the next six months compared to their cost? Like the ugliest way to look at it and be like, how do I make a choice on somebody's employment here? So I had to pick people where I'm like, though I valued the human and I valued their potential and what they could give me, I just couldn't see 
like the the ROI in the next six months based on the state of the company, not on their their skills or their capabilities or what I think the potential they could have given. But there's always a reason why we have to choose someone. And, and so we're looking at it going, who is underutilized of no fault of their own, right? Or who is overpaid in the sense of like what the market could really be offering? Who is offering a skill that maybe be doubling up with other skills that we had here? And so we made the selection. But I also, I knew I would under layoff because there's what a lot of people were telling me because I saw a lot of ice around this and they said there's two waves. There's the one that you control first. These are the people you're letting go and parting ways with. And then there's a second wave of individuals who are emotionally charged by the situation. They feel either betrayed because they're losing their friends. They feel that now's the time to jump ship and go seek other opportunities. Maybe they were already looking at those opportunities or maybe, you know, at this moment that they decided it's finally a time to make a change in their, their world, whatever, for whatever reason, right? Everybody has a reason and it's the right reason for them. And so I knew that I needed to under layoff because then subsequently someone will tell me what they want and they'll move on and they'll, that will be our full wave of what was happening. It was interesting because it was like, I knew I needed to do it on a Monday I couldn't plan things correctly to do it on a Friday, which is what they always tell you to do things <laughs> in the organization. So Monday was the day I had to do it because I, once I made the decision, I just couldn't wait a day longer. Once I said, this is the date I'm going to do it, I, I couldn't push it back. And at that point, there was some you know, PTO related items. And I just, similar to how you don't lay people off right before the holidays, you know, I didn't want to lay individuals off right before their planned long-term vacation that they had. And so in theory, I probably sh business, shrewd business leaders who are profit-minded would have told me I should have done it a month sooner when I knew I needed to, to conduct this layoff. But the human in me said I at least needed to to get to the other side of what people had been planning, put money aside for. It's the least I could do to make sure that we could get them to the other side, even though we were burning money. It's something right there that is just evident to me, Nicole, in my time and in, in knowing you for about a year now, since we originally crossed paths, is that you are highly pragmatic. And I think something you said there is something that we heard Jay Owen mention in a previous episode on this show, that doing the equations of what is the value in salary and benefits and these sorts of things to an individual and what is the value back out to the company and ultimately to our clients of our agency. Like doing that math does not dehumanize people. It's pragmatic. It's the way business and life work. And at the same time, balancing that with, hey, bringing in the human element, as you mentioned, you were looking at the math to make the decision, but then in how you made the decision and the timing, you did let some of those other things contribute to your decision. And I just want to call that out. And I think that that is probably a healthy way to, to deal with this right, wrong or indifferent. I mean, we could spend the rest of this time debating these different particular pieces of advice. If you find yourself here, do you do it quickly? Do you cut once cut deep? I've heard that sort of thing because the last thing you want is multiple rounds and then people are even more on edge. But from what I just heard you say there, it does kind of echo my experiences. There's always two waves. There's the wave that you can control 
as much as that is terrible to go through for the people and for the person making that decision in different ways. But then there is that second wave of you're going to have some people who are affected by this, who are maybe already looking and it accelerates them, or maybe they weren't. And there's, there's a lack of trust the time of the week you do it, all those sorts of things. But all of that aside, I just wanted to call out. I, I appreciate that in you. And I think that knowing that balancing those two, if you're an agency owner or entrepreneur who finds yourself in this situation and needing to make these hard decisions, it is okay to balance those two. So I just wanted to call that out. And I think I cut you off mid sentence there. So you can keep going though. Yeah. it's. I think in the, there's more pressure as an agency owner because our product is our people versus when you lay off the whole finance team in a manufacturing plant. It's maybe I'm biased, but I th- I do think when you're in the knowledge worker space, the, the bonds are tighter. The appreciation for each other tends to be much more because we wouldn't literally wouldn't exist without each other, right? Especially people who do the frontline delivery. And so I feel like the emotions tend to be higher and the layers of grayness and decision-making needs to be more thoughtful. And you have to know what what your non-negotiables are. And then, you know, for me, the date, once I set that date, it was a non-negotiable, but then like figuring out who the people were and then figuring out how I was going to approach it, like all these things, you know, I, I knew one person before I knew the other, you know, so it was like a journey to figure out, like, how do I make these numbers work? How do I make them work in a way that hits our our ability to stay in business now without hamstringing the moment, you know, the worst thing would be a boomerang effect where we lay people off. And like, three months later, we get clients that and so I I couldn't cut deep, because I don't want to do this yo-yo effect, right. And so, like I said, profit minded business owners probably would disagree with a lot of my decisions, because they're not always very profit oriented. They're very much people oriented. And I, I value the equity I earn in terms of like relationships and the weight of the work I have on me and the harmony of us collaborating and working together so much more than making way more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I looked at that and along with the layoff, I made the choice to cut off my salary. So I haven't been making an income since April as well. And so I cut off my salary before I even knew who I was laying off. And I cut off my salary before I arrived. Everybody knew I had shut it off because what I didn't want was somebody to feel like I was laying them off to preserve my own situation. And I think that a lot of people would do that. Like, hey, like it doesn't make sense for me to be working for free, so you gotta go. That's not my mantra, I'm a saver. <laughs> so, you know, my I am pretty frugal. My financial state is like a low cost way of living. So I knew I could do that. Like that's like, if I'm laying people off and if this company is having a struggle, I shouldn't be rewarded. At the top of the food chain, you shouldn't be get, getting a reward if what you're running is not working well. That might be the the line of the entire episode right there, Nicole. <laughs> and whether someone would make those exact same decisions or or not, I have to tip my cap to you for living out the the values of being very people-minded. From the moment I met you, I know that you're a networker, you're a relationship builder, those sorts of things. And so hearing that come out in the way that you approach a very tough time as an agency owner doesn't surprise me at all. So I think from there, I just want to, again, thank you for your candor and continuing to share this story. And so as deep as you want to go here or feel comfortable, tell us a little bit more about maybe some lessons learned in the next phase of you decide you need to make a change. You decide what the change is going to be and who's going to be directly impacted. You know that you can't affect the who is impacted in that second wave, that you only have some influence and very little control there. 
But the next thing you can control is when and how you communicate it. You alluded to a few things there of maybe communicating the other cuts you were going to make, including your salary before the layoffs or in tandem with. Talk us through some of the decisions you made and some of the things that maybe you would repeat if, heaven forbid, you had to go through it again, or you would advise other agency owners if they do find themselves in the same spot and needing to take that next step of communicating this sort of tough news to a team. Yeah, this is a hard one. For me, I shared with my team that this first layoff, they were blindsided, but that I felt with the type of company we were, the type of team we were, it would have been cruel to socialize the idea of a layoff before it occurred. It would cause people to lose their focus, which then will further put us down a path of not having an opportunity for anybody at that point. It would p provide pressure on people to figure out, like, <laughs> is it me or, you know, do I need to start overperforming and adding stress to their life? It also pr provides a bit of survivor's guilt. So it's like you wish the whole time you don't lose your job. And then when you don't, you feel guilty because someone else you love and care for did. And it's a moment I felt, and I could be wrong, but for my team and for what I was doing, I felt that it needed to happen as a surprise. And then we got together and we called it the state of remote-ish meeting. And I said, moving forward, I promise you, every decision like this now you will be involved in. I said, what led up to this was something you had no control over. And so the layoff you had no control over, but moving forward as a team, we're no longer going to make these decisions without you being a part of it. And so what was interesting is, you know, and maybe you'll lead me into this part of the discussion, but I found that now that we've gotten over this really negative, like blemish in our history, the remaining team has gotten stronger together. We've had much more collaborative discussions. We've been able to address things that sort of were left unaddressed in the past. The, there's a lot more bonding happening, a lot more like, let's just be real, like about our happiness or our unhappiness. And what's interesting is a lot of people are going, wow, the decisions that have been made since the layoff have been so much better than the decisions that were made leading all the way up to the layoff, right? Like they can see the change. And I know some of the reasons why we arrived here. Some of them were in my control and a lot of them were out of my control. And it's interesting because the things that were in my control probably affected us the most because they weren't factoring the things that were out of my control, like the macroeconomic situations happening. What was difficult is in 2021 and early 2022, it set a benchmark for us of what to expect. And we all forgot what life was before then, right? And so for a lot of us, we're like, oh, if we just power through, right? A few months later, we'll be back. It was such a yo-yo effect. It was like, you know, and so for me, I was sitting in a hopeful place going, all right, well, if we just ride it out. Well, we, we're not in the ride out zone anymore, if that's the best advice I can give people. I'm usually a very decisive and like you said, pragmatic person, but I felt like, I felt like there's an eight month window where I go, go, I pulled away and got less pragmatic and let other people be less decisive for me because I'm kind of like painfully decisive. <laughs> I've had feedback, which makes me a great CEO, but makes it difficult to work under me, you know? <laughs> but now that we've made that decision, and my decisiveness and my moving things forward, I think the team has seen a world difference. So like, oh, yes, it is painful to swiftly change something or abruptly change something or address, you know, elephant in the room so clearly and, and then work to fixing it and changing it, even if we were comfortable before. But now we see after doing that work for just a month and a half, what life could look like on the other side. They're like, OK, now we know why we needed to do that. So if there's anything, I could also look at it as going, this was an eight month training ground, a boot camp for people to realize why decisiveness and pragmaticness and structure and organization and all these things are required 
to have a successful business. 2021, you literally could be asleep pushing a button and people were paying you six figures. Now, like you need a PhD and you're going to get, you know, 40K <laughs> for your job. And so I think we were all in a correction. Yeah. And the correction I needed to do was bloat in my company that didn't support our ability to be in business. Yeah. And it's something you were saying there of kind of what we got used to in 2021 and 2022. People talk about lifestyle creep, right? You're, you look back and you're like, oh, five years ago, I was making this but we were fine. If I went back to making that right now, like it would be completely disorienting. Right. And so I think we can do that in our career, in our personal lives, but also as an agency, we can kind of forget what it was and what it looks like to be successful there. Cause we were successful at, at that point. And I can totally also appreciate what you were saying there in what can we ride out versus what can we not, you know, right at, as the pandemic was hitting us in 2020, I was on the leadership team of a podcast production agency, Sweetfish. Many people who know my story know a little bit about that. And we all, that initial wave of what's going to happen, we all kind of tensed our shoulders for folks not watching the video. I'm even just instinctively doing that, right? And we had a meeting with the team. We said, we don't know how this is going to impact us, but we're not going to hide from the fact that we're all looking around and, and somewhat concerned about what's happening. For us, it ended up being an accelerator because we had more people who were investing in remote content production. They were shifting from stuff from events into podcasts and webinars and live streams and those sorts of things. And so in, in that moment, for specific reasons to that scenario, we braced, but then powered through, right? We eventually got to a point where that, that wasn't the case. I would agree with, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there and that the communication plan, although feeling abrupt at times, it is somewhat cruel to kind of socialize like, hey, stuff might be coming. It's kind of like uh, in good times when you're sharing news with the team of this is coming. We don't know what. Stay tuned for more information. It creates more anxiety than it does having folks feel in the know. However, I have seen some posts from you recently where you were talking about, I think it was the one, Nicole, where you were talking about KPIs and a different definition or a few different definitions of that common acronym that are not key performance indicators in the way that you're talking about them. But I think that that is related to some of the shifts that you guys have gone through in the way that you communicate, the way that you make decisions as a team. Maybe you could speak to those, some of the things that have been coming to light for you and for your team as you guys have been working through the other side and seeing some things that have positively impacted your culture in the agency. Yeah, no. And I, I think some of it Maybe in my ignorance is just indicative of my size, right? You can be much more collaborative and, and much more inclusive and, and all this stuff when you're tiny. So I, I might be representing a very small crew of people, but a lot of those KPIs keep people informed, keep people involved, right? Keep people invested, keep people, whatever, keep however you want to define the KPI. That's how we used to be. We built our culture around that, a, a very asynchronous, very communicative in the moment, well-documented organization. But in our journey to hit the growth goals that everybody else was, we were we were there. We were going, oh, my gosh, 2021 money is just being thrown at us if we have the people. And we were skipping corners and we were cutting documentation and we were just trying to hire and onboard people as fast as humanly possible. And I think in 2022, it le led us to lose our way of like who we were. We were those types of people. And so I'm trying to get us back to who we were pre like pandemic. We were a highly collaborative, well-informed team. We 
when you have a culture of sharing the ups and downs consistently all the time, then the anxiety abates because you're getting information all the time, bits of it, and it's layering on top of each other. And no longer are you sitting and simmering for large, large periods of time left to wonder what's happening. And so that was a big part of it. I knew that I had pulled away for about eight months. I, you know, honestly, I was tired. You know, I was tired and falling out of love with my own business. That's when I started Cultrish to give me a home to house my thought leadership that I was more passionate about. Mm -hmm. I laugh with people and I'm like, I probably should have been like a chief operations officer or chief people officer. Like I really don't love being a CEO, but by nature of owning the company and it being small, I have to be. But I wasn't a journey to be like, can I give up some of my core responsibilities and pursue other things? Because the roller coaster of 2020, 2021, 2022, I was like, I am over this. Like... The joy of entrepreneurship has been lost on me. And I love entrepreneuring, but the, in that moment, that way of entrepreneuring just felt so like counter to who I was. And I felt like I was making all the wrong decisions. And I thought, well, maybe somebody else can make better decisions than me because for whatever reason, I don't know, you know, and I needed a break. And so I pulled back for a good eight months and then realized that honestly, and maybe this is not what people want to hear on this podcast, but in this moment that we're in, like we need stronger ownership involvement than less, right? Like if your name is on the door, like you need to show up right now. We can pull back in the future when things are stable, but in times of crisis, the one and only person that can be counted on in a small organization is anyone who has an ownership stake, right? Like, and honestly, it's usually the founder because they're the one who had the drive, the initiative, the passion, some, you know, seeds that moved them to build it. They usually have the most legacy knowledge. They know how the story evolved. They can be the person who can rally everyone and tell us like, you know, I, I, I sit with my team and I'm like, oh, well, we used to use, do this in 2019. Let me tell you all about it. And then this is how it evolved. And let's go back to that. And they're like, wow, it's so cool to hear the story of a company, but I wasn't a part of that before. Like, oh, I can see where I came in, in the story that, oh, now I remember how it went moving forward. Storytelling actually, I think is a huge part of like a founder's job to connect people back to the the origin of why you're even here. Not even the why, but it's like why the why of many, many years past, you know? Yes. Yes. And how has that evolved? And mm-hmm. what was the why then versus the why now? And why did it change? You know, yep. sound like we're just beating the Simon Sinek drum here with how many whys we just dropped in the transcript of this episode. But tell me a little bit, because I would love to double down on this idea, Nicole, of founders and agency owners right now, when times are tighter, when things are a little bit more tense, they need to lean in and not pull back. You mentioned a few things there, but what did pulling back look like for you or what might it look like for other agency owners? As I know your network is is full of others. What might that look like and where would you encourage them to lean in? What When you say, hey, you need to lean in when times are tough right now, what are some of the things that that looks like to give people some tactical tips for implementing that? I think if you're not a strong operational leader, then you need to have a right hand that is like 100% aligned with you. Like you two are in lockstep. Otherwise, as the only person potentially at the top of the food chain, you have to be a strong COO at this moment. You need to be there to have the hard conversations around accountability. I think for me, when I fell off and sort of started to pull away and focus elsewhere, I was one of our biggest accountability engines, right? I was our biggest operator, most organized person on the team. And so it's like that was lost and other people who had other core skills came in and they were 
visionary or they were making decisions or they were wanting to build products or they wanted to do all these things. These are all grand things, but they weren't good executors. And so oddly, as as the the visionary of my company, I'm also a great executor. That's actually that's been one of my biggest skill sets that's brought me to this point in my career that not only can I come up with an idea, I can take it to fruition. And maybe it's the pragmatic side of me where my ideas are never too big that I couldn't actually just get them done, you know? Yeah, which isn't always the case. To your point, if you can't be that operations leader, the person executing, as they call it in EOS, the integrator, and you realize, hey, I'm just really the visionary, that's my skill set. If you can't become that, you need to find that person. So it is unique, but I, I've seen that before. We even, the previous episode I mentioned with Jay Owen, as they've run EOS, identifying who can play those two roles? Because you do need both. That can happen in one person or it can be two. So I hear you saying, become or find that operational leader. Be there to tell the the company story to your team and repeat that. I, maybe it's Pat Lencioni who talks about the CEO needing to be the chief repeating officer. Yeah, yeah, if I'm that. misquoting him and it's attributed somewhere else, I, I apologize to all of you listening, but it's it's a good quote nonetheless. And lean in again by having the hard conversations about accountability. Something else you would add to that list or do you think those are really the top three, Nicole? I think a lack of accountability became our I spent that month knowing, okay, I need to do a layoff and I need to understand who I need to lay off. And I, not only that, I needed to build a plan. So, you know, though I'm extremely decisive, I'm also very strategic. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to do a layoff and then I'm going to have to come swoop in, bring the morale back up, be that chief, chief storyteller and repeating officer to the team and then lay down a plan and execute on it as swiftly as I possibly can. Like we don't have time. We were hemorrhaging clients and to note, not only, so for anybody who's listening, not only did we lay off some people, so we laid off two people, but we were only 12. So that feels like a lot. And then we lost two people who quit the course of that week. So it was a really heavy week. But I even got on a call on Monday when we did the layoff. And I said, this is the state of remotish. We just laid two people off. I realize that there's going to be a second wave. I realize that some of you are going to take this information and make a decision that's for the better for you and your family moving forward. And that that's what they call the second wave. Like I wasn't hiding anything. I was like, I am well aware there will be a second wave. And even some people were like, wow, I never thought about that until you brought it up that I've noticed every time there's a layoff, there's usually people then that quit. And I, and he's like, and I never understood why people would quit when other people just lost their job, but now they can see where those emotions can run high and, and whatnot. And so for me, it was building that plan. So it's like, you know, I had to be super, super decisive. I had to come, you know, make that decision, make that cut and then move forward. And now I needed to be our accountability officer. I needed to get us back on track. I had to identify all the gaps. I had to have talks with everyone and say, hey, this is where you're falling short, but you're here for a reason. So please like help me by working on this, you know, and I just had to tell everybody what I expected from them. But I had to do the work alongside them. It's very easy to show up. Same thing. To, it's easy to be a visionary leader, but it's very easy to show up and say, you need to do this, but not model it for them or not guide them through it. And so I have had series of meetings. I've had extra meetings. I mean, I'm like sick of meetings. I don't want to have meetings anymore. But in this moment, we actually needed to become a much more synchronous team. We're known for being exceptionally asynchronous. But I had to load up meetings. We are redoing our ICP. We're redoing our personas. We were doing our service offering. We're like, everything is getting touched and tweaked. Like no, no stone unturned in this company right now. Because what I don't want to do is be like, oh, we forgot about this. 
right? Like we moved forward and forgot about this. So, but we also lost clients. So when we lost those team members, our third wave in theory of impact on our company is a mass exodus of clients. When they see a bunch of our team leaving, they think we're unstable. And then when they see, you know, the individuals they were working with leave, they feel like, oh, there's going to be a loss of legacy knowledge. There's going to be a loss of continuity in our services. That's a great call out to think about plan forward, as you mentioned, where the the product is the people. I think that is unique to agency life. Yep. And I mean, to share a little bit about my numbers, I just, I had no choice. So here we are, 2023, early April, when I knew that this probably needed to occur, I was staring at a negative $85,000 a month in May and no pipeline that was giving me any sign of what was going to be better. And I did an audit and I looked at all of our clients and they were all on three month contracts. And previously we used to be month to month, which is a double-edged sword. Right. One, it means they're going to just keep paying forever. There's no indication they're actually leaving. Two though, there's nothing to keep them there. But we actually performed better month to month with that freedom to leave as you will than we did when we had a three month contract. Because every time we had a three month contract, we had a dead month where we, we didn't get very good at renegotiating these contracts. So then we lost income for a month and then we had a pr- pretty poor retention rate afterwards. I was like, we don't have any clients that are going to be returning to us. It was like three of our clients are on legacy retainers with us. And I was like, this is a very bad picture, right? Like this is like, we're of the size that I could lay the whole company off and just service this load by myself, you know? And Though I know how we arrived at this state, you know, the compounding things that got there, it's just there was no longer a a lifeline. Up until that point, I felt like, okay, well, this that could be the lifeline or this other thing could be the lifeline. When everything started falling flat, when all those things weren't coming to fruition, I just I knew I had to make that choice. I knew that we would lose team members we valued because I had to let them go, that we're going to lose team members that that we value because they let us go, that I knew that we were going to lose clients. I was like, I know that if I do this, we're probably going to lose this client. It's already the relationship's already rocky. But I knew that I couldn't afford to pay $85,000 for my family savings to keep everybody on the payroll. Like at that point, I think a lot of people think when they think of a business, there's like this ever flowing coffer of money that's going to pay us all. And when we're struggling with our clients, they don't seem to connect it to actual money. And if the money is gone, who pays for it? Well, in a small business, it comes from the family of the person who owns the business. And yes, when you own a business, there's richness to be had. We have years where we make astronomical money, but then we have to like bank it kind of like a, like, you know, your stock portfolio. It's like we bank it because we know that we, we could have whole years where we're negative. Right. And so I'm planning in three year increments, right? Like I might have a really rich year and I bank tons of it, knowing that if I have one or two bad years, I can write it without having to shut down my business. I I can't think of myself on a payroll like everyone else. And so when I'm sitting here going, do I pay 85,000? I had, we had already had five months of negative leading up to it, but it was smaller and I felt more manageable and something I was willing to to deal with, to get to the other side. But when you arrive at a negative 85,000 with a team of 12, there's just no, there's nothing will make the numbers work. Like at that point, you're just being a martyr for nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, Nicole, one of the things, uh, as we round out the conversation here, I, again, just really appreciate your candor in talking through this. And it was something that struck me in another LinkedIn post of yours that I saw on my feed as we're regularly engaging with each other's content. And you were talking about the life of an agency owner and an entrepreneur in general sometimes can be lonely, especially because a lot of the advice online, not even from big names, but just from folks 
folks like you and I who have been involved in leading agencies and small businesses and, and those sorts of things, what we share is usually the success stories and what you can learn from that. And that's all good. But the stories from the troughs, from the trenches, sometimes don't get shared, even in small, intimate settings. And so what were some of the ways that you were able to either tap into your existing network or find ways to come out the other side as a, a strong enough leader to take care of yourself as well as your team in order to be there for your team for this next season ahead that you guys have at Remotish? Yeah, about summertime of last year when I was sort of feeling like the love for my company and being an agency owner was waning and and exploring like, who am I at this point? What am I going to do with myself? You know, I'm after running your own business for so long, you're like virtually unemployable by any other company. I started to seek out people like me. And, and what was difficult, not to say that I don't love all the, the the male agency owners out there, is the story of a female agency owner tends to just be vastly different than a male agency owner. I started my agency when I had little babies that I was like nursing at home. I still do the majority of sort of the domestic things in my home, even though I work full time. I'm the main breadwinner. I have all these pressures on me. And not that I'm not happy with the nature of how my personal life is structured, I just have things that I've not been able to really feel like I could talk to, to the male agency owners in my world. And I have plenty and I, we talk all the time and we're, we're well connected, but, but it was all business. It always felt like it was surface still. Right. And you know me, I'm like, I dive real deep and not everybody welcomes that. And so I started to see community like big time. And yes, I'm a big networker, but my networking always was like, work. And I was like, I need to just be honest with people because I felt like for so long on social media or other things, like I'm a reflector. So I'll reflect and then I'll throw it out to y'all. But it feels like a one-way conversation. Like I'm just telling you and then you're going, oh, I, I get it or I don't. But I need to talk to someone because I don't want to be reflecting by myself. I don't always have the answers. And I was arriving at at moments where I was faced with challenges I've never experienced before and I had no one to talk to. And it was lonely. And it was like, I would cry at home and I'm like, because I don't want to talk to my spouse about it because he only gets a certain amount of it. And he's like, fire everyone or quit. Or, you know, he's like, he doesn't, I just need empathy. And though he cares about my feelings, he's not a business owner. So he doesn't understand all the dynamics behind it. Right. Or, or the challenges I'm dealing with, or that sometimes I just need to be listened to <laughs> and don't need advice at all, you know? You know, I've heard that from from my wife as well and tried to be clear in both directions. Look, I need you to listen right now or look, I need you to help me solve this right now, right? Because whether it's our spouse or someone in our network, sometimes that communication of before we start kind of pouring our heart out, we need to let them know, here's kind of where I'm at. Here's what I'm looking for. Sometimes it's nice when they guess and they nail it, but communication for the win, right? <laughs> But I, I needed community on a more intimate level. And so I started seeking out select women that I admired, right? We've interacted before. The way they operate just works well. And at first it was like I was pursuing. Like I, Gabby is one of those. Gabby from Proofpoint, you've mentioned her on other podcasts and our circles aligned. But she was somebody like we'd communicated on the peripheral and connected often enough where I'm like, Gabby, we need to be friends. And she's like, oh, okay. I was like, no, but like, we need to be in a Slack group and we need to talk to each other and we need to share these things with each other. And we need to be able to support each other because it's lonely. And then I started to collect women like her and bring them into my circles. And then I started to realize there was other women who were doing the same thing. Other female agency owners were maybe they had a small circle of two or three. And I've just been pulling them in. And these women were amazing to support me through this moment. 
because a lot of them were doing the same thing, but it was much more hidden. I laid off two people and it was like thousands of people knew about it. They are laying off like 10 people and no one knows about it. They just don't have such a visible brand. So here I am for the very first time in my life having to think of optics, of which I think is the most BS thing to have to worry about because I've never worried about that. But I don't want the people who are still here to lose their opportunity because the optics are playing a story that doesn't tell everything going on. And so I needed these people to help me through that, the sleepless nights and the decision making and just the reassurance you're doing the right thing, right? Like you're doing a kindness to people when you're saving, you know, the majority and a few people have to sort of find their own way. She's like, it's going to be really easy for them to find jobs. Your people are well-trained. They're well-regarded. She's like, that visibility is going to be their future network for them. And so it's just like, like you have to see community. And I think in terms of the agency owner world, especially when you're in the moment, because I haven't solved my problem. I'm still operating at a negative. It still sucks, but it's much more palpable now. And we have a plan and I feel confident in my plan. And maybe we'll we'll recap and see what things look like later. And to your point, usually people are not telling you about a weakness in the moment of weakness. It's always when we've triumphed said weakness. True. But Very all true. that's been keeping me through, though I love my family, I love everyone. It's this group of women agency owners that I talk to almost every day in a Slack group that we support each other with our social content, that we ask each other ideas and we vent and we don't judge each other. And we have a moment to not be on our best behavior and have a, a thought or a feeling and, or an idea that maybe doesn't, that runs counter to our normal selves just because we're mad or we're frustrated. And it's interesting because all these women who live very similar lives to me, we just interact, even though we're totally different personalities when it comes to understanding entrepreneurship and how running an agency intersects with everything else. It's almost like we're all in lockstep with each other. And I felt like I had partners, like they know my financials, they know, you know, decisions I'm making before I'm making them. At this moment, any one of them could probably join my business tomorrow and run it, you know, because I have chosen to like bring them into a level of confidence that that I needed. And I, I think for some of them, they didn't realize they needed it too. And we've all arrived at a place going, I don't know where we would be right now without this group, this support network. And that post was all about leaning into the, it's not the decision that you're making that should determine your happiness, but it's like, it's who you make those decisions with. And it's find people to talk to because whatever your resulting decision shouldn't, you shouldn't live in regret or you shouldn't live in frustration, but you should feel supported in that decision. Whether that decision is I want out, I'm done with agency life. Got it. How do we help you do that? Right. Mm -hmm. Or it's I'm in it. I'm going to make some decisions like, you know, these gals we talk about, they're talking about mergers and acquisitions and, you know, what are the next steps that they're going to do in their business? And they're, they're peppering a, a, dull, a dark moment in all of our businesses with potential and things to get excited about. If I showed up and started talking to my team about mergers and acquisitions, they're going to be like, we just did a layoff lady. Like, are you like tone deaf? Right. But when you're in our seat, you, you've, you think of the far off future. You're thinking in years of the of the future. You're making decisions today that you're like, will never bear fruit for five years from now. And I had nobody to talk to about that, that long-term strategy and vision or the short-term, like painful decision-making that I had to do. And mm-hmm. so 
that's that good advice good. there in, you know, leaning into those relationships, being very intentional. I love what you said there of Gabby. We, you know, maybe we're acquaintances or however you would def- define this right now, but we need to be friends. And I mean that like, this is what I mean. Right. And then investing into that small circle that, you know, then does grow. And then I think the other piece of advice there, Nicole, is that at times, as much as we want to be transparent as leaders and through this process, you gave some great advice of, Hey, you know, I prepared, I, you know, shared this tough news with the team, but then I leaned into the one-on-one other things that maybe would have been a Slack message in the past. They were one-on-one conversations at the same time. You also have to recognize that there are things that are better left kind of kept from your team based on their perspective, based on the seat that they sit in, that it is better to talk with your peer group about first and then plan that communication with your team or start that communication and start to involve them at a later stage. It doesn't mean like you go over here, you figure it all out with your peers and your advisors and and that sort. And then you just come to the team. There can be a middle ground and there can be a transition there, but we need to recognize that those are different, right? I was, I was part of an agency with a founder who was very visionary minded. And when it was just four of us, I was full-timer number four, we would talk big picture, long-term and this sort of stuff. And then as we got to 10, 20, 30 plus people as a leadership team would mention these sorts of things, not even just coming from James, but me as well. And people would be like, wait, what are you talking about? I'm freaked out by that. Wait, Mm -hmm. I would hear later, like that kind of stressed me out. And we're like, I thought that was exciting. So Mm -hmm. we do need to think thoughtfully about when and how we have those conversations that are different with our peers who are agency leaders and owners versus the entire team. So I think that that is is a very practical thing to wrap on as we get to our final two segments. I want to make sure we we do hit on those, Nicole. So we've got our fast five that we're going to hit you with. I know that you're great off the cuff, maybe even better than when you're prepped for questions. So we're going to hit that and then give you an opportunity to give a shout out to someone who has impacted your agency life. You ready for it? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's dive in. So right now, I guess this is applicable for the story we're talking about today. If someone gave you 10K a month, no strings attached to invest in your agency, what do you think you would do at this juncture with that extra infusion of capital? I actually have those two roles planned. I need an internal operator and an internal marketing person. (laughs) And I think I've listened to to enough of your podcasts where that actually is a, a centralized theme, those two roles. That is a theme that's emerging operations and marketing. And it's timely as well. I just saw some data from Pete Caputa talking about how many agencies invest in their own marketing, how they view it, just continuing with what he's doing with some of the benchmark reports and getting some of that firsthand data from other agency owners. So something to lean into there. All right. Number two, what are some of your favorite books that have impacted you as an agency owner, Nicole? I'm not a booker. I know I I like, I go contrary to like every entrepreneur who as a stack of books. I think my ADHD really works well with like social media or podcasts or blog posts or just like short form ideas versus like learning a whole subject at once. So I'm I'm constantly consuming stuff all the time from news feeds and things like that. I think an impactful blog that changed the trajectory of my career that's still relevant today is the Chief Martech blog. When I discovered the Chief Martech blog in 2013, when I was starting my career, I was a technical marketer and I didn't have an identity because I didn't want to be like content and creative, but that was like blasphemous. Like if you're in marketing, you're a copywriter. 
and you know how to design. And so when Chief Martech arrived and I knew that I was a marketing technologist and I found my people, it was like the trajectory of my whole career changed. And a lot of the stuff he publishes, I feel like is always ahead of the curve of Mm. roles within our space in the technical marketing world. Great call out there. You can answer with a blog rather than a book. That's a okay. And in my opinion, at least, and I think our listeners will appreciate that as well. Number three, what's one mistake you've made in running your agency that you'll never forget? I feel like the mistake that I just made and had to, and in recovering right now is the most painful, but I feel like the most avoidable mistake that I will never make is not understanding how the finances work and how bookkeeping works in my business. Uh, I had a close to $800,000 total impact embezzlement that we uncovered in 2019 in my, or 2016 in my last agency. And after that, I got a PhD in business finance and taxes and labor law and all that stuff because of that, that cool. situation. And had I just understood how to look in QuickBooks and had I just understood mm-hmm. how all the finances just work together, I didn't have to do it. I just had to understand it. That wouldn't have happened. I could have prevented it. And so that highly preventable moment like that just makes you go like, oh my gosh, like I should have known better. You know, I just, I didn't do my fiduciary duty to my business to be knowledgeable in the financial part of my business. Got it. All right. Well, Nicole, as we rounded out on the fast five, number four, what's the hardest part you think about agency life? The people. (laughs) I think all of us were different and we have different passions and personalities. And uh, I think the the rules and culture of one business can't work well in another. And I think we often try to seek advice from other people and adopt what they have when really you need to make something that works for your own. But people can be the worst. We can be the worst. All of us can be the worst part of working together when we're not well-behaved or we're not considerate or or whatever. And we've all had our moments, honestly. If we're being honest, that is absolutely true. All right. We always like to end it on a positive note in the fast five. What do you think is the best part of agency life? I think I've heard this on, on a lot of the other ones is also the people, because when you know how horrible people can be, how selfish we can be, how in our natural state, we can do some just unfathomable things when we see the goodness in people, when we see the achievements and the growth, and when we see possibilities and potential, it's all, it's very inspiring at the same time. It's like, it's knowing the distance between our, our badness and our goodness is so great that when we see the good, it's like awe inspiring and amazing. Cause we know that all of us are like traversing a huge chasm just to be that good. And so it's the people at the same time, uh, which is why you need to go find other people because the people, you know, could be the reason why you're having a tough time or a great time. Absolutely. That is not the first. And I don't think it will be the last time that answers to number four and five in the fast five are the people. All right. As we wrap it up, Nicole, it's time for you to give your shout out to someone who's impacted your journey as an agency owner. You know, it's interesting. I I do think uh, Gabby made a shout out to me and I I would like to make a shout out to her because I think being a friend (laughs) that I forced to be my friend and an agency owner who operates um, her her company with a great deal of ethics, I think has been a great uh, recent sort of um, guide for me. But I would say my very first and last boss in 2013, who 
was actually the one who planted the seeds around flex time and my views of time. He was an individual who owned a software agency of 50 people in San Diego. And he said, I don't care if you arrive between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., as long as you arrive anytime between that time. And then he would plan all his meetings for the company in that crossover moment. He had employees in all sorts of time zones. And it's almost like a lot of my model of time viewing today came from this one boss I had for one year in 2013. Most impactful, most pragmatic leader I ever worked with. And here I am 10 years later, you know, still singing his praise. And he went off to exit his agency. And yet, you know, it's interesting how we have maybe one one boss in the past that had a point of view or or changed our mind frame that the whole future trajectory has changed because of them. Completely agree. I love to hear that sort of story. And I've heard your frameworks that have come out of those lessons that you learned from that boss. For anyone listening who, you know, that kind of piques some curiosity. If you go to teamwork.com slash agency life, scroll down to the webinar section and look for the one a few months back we did with Nicole. Uh, Nicole was kind enough to share those frameworks on how we approach time, when, where, and how much we work that really really kind of set the stage before you talk about the nitty gritty of time tracking and capacity management and those sorts of things within your agency. So I'd encourage you to check that out because uh, Nicole did get some really great lessons, planted those seeds and has kind of worked those out in the decades that have come since then. Well, speaking of following up and staying connected, Nicole, for fellow agency owners and leaders listening to this, if they want to stay connected with you or reach out individually, what's the best way for them to go about that? LinkedIn. I'm hugely excited accessible on LinkedIn. You can send me a DM. It might take me a few days because I get a lot of messages, but I'll, I'll try to make room. I'm constantly clearing out, you know, maybe people who are less active on my LinkedIn and, and trying to connect. I'm not so big where I can't connect with everybody still. Um, I publish a lot of content. So commenting on that could lead to really great conversations. You could always just like DM me your booking link. And if I have some time, I'll try to get on a networking call. I try to, to be as available as I possibly can with within the limitations of my my time. But I love meeting people and sharing ideas. I think that's how we met. And it's it's not stopped since. So yes, if you're listening to this and you've never met Nicole or engaged with her content before, want to tap her as a peer, I can tell you that that will definitely happen. We crossed paths at Inbound last year. Then we ran into each other at the airport as we were both waiting for our plans. Um, and ever since then, we've uh, hopped on and off different conversations. Some we've recorded, some we haven't. I appreciate you being willing to record this one. So go and connect with Nicole. She has a wealth of knowledge and a friendly face for other agency owners, whether you're at one of those peaks right now, or you're at one of the valleys, I think it's the big takeaway from this conversation is that we do need a network of our peers. And we want to continue to grow this community of folks who are willing to talk about both the ups and downs of agency life. So thank you so much for listening. And Nicole, thank you for being our guest today. No problem. Anytime. You've been listening to Agency Life, and we hope you've been enjoying each and every episode. If so, you've probably got a friend who'd find the show valuable as well. Sharing a podcast with someone in your network is an easy way to add value and show someone that you're thinking about them. Somebody probably came to mind for you just now. Go ahead, shoot them a text with something like, hey, I've been listening to Agency Life, and I think you'd like this episode I was just listening to. They'll probably really appreciate it. And hey, we will too. 
And if you're looking for even more content to support your agency life journey, check out teamwork.com slash agency life. There you can search through past episodes, get access to the agency life newsletter and find additional video content to support and inspire you as you continue on this crazy roller coaster ride that is agency life.